this morning we're going to kick right off with empowerment ship, but before we go there, um, I've asked uh, Gert Jan de Groot from Holland to come up and share. I got, had an opportunity to visit with him uh, again last night uh, at the fellowship, and um, I want you to, to uh, see the fruit of God's system in a businessman, a Christian businessman, a marketplace minister, and then I'll make some comments after, but uh, Gert Jan, come on up and share your heart, and uh, thank you, Pastor. Well, it's a pleasure to speak. First of all, thank you, Dr. Radke, that I can give my testimony, and uh, thank you for, uh, for all the, the trainings. Um, it was about four years ago that I, my pastor, I'm very happy for my pastor, he, uh, he said to me, well, you go to the basic training of Dr. Radke. And I said, well, I have had a lot of trainings, management trainings, business trainings, expensive trainings, and I was not that enthusiastic. But my wife, she said, come and see. So I spent one day together, and uh, that was the time that was, uh, I was... Uh, vice president of a company in Holland, uh, which is about uh, 100 people and a turnover of 220 million dollars. So, um, and I didn't know why, but God knows why, because he knows, he knows everything in advance. And uh, he knew that uh, two and a half years ago, so one year later, I became suddenly the CEO of this company. And I was... <laughs> And I needed this material badly because uh, <laughs> I, I didn't uh, know how to manage this company. And the company was, um, well, uh, there were a lot of teams. There were a lot of people, I would say. There were not teams, but a lot of people. And um, with the material uh, I got, I was uh, able to, to set up uh, the business better. And um, in 2008, we had a very good year. It was the year before the economic crisis. And in 2009, I was able to implement the system strongly. And that means that in 2009, a lot of companies in my business uh, went bankrupt and uh, had a loss. But we had a moderate profit. So that was a good. In 2010, and we closed uh, 2010 recently, we had the first best year ever. And uh, it's growing very fast at the moment. We have growth of 10 to 15% at the moment. And that is not the, mo the most uh, nicest thing is that um, the um, motivation of the people is very high. And that is also one of the good things of the system that you have extremely motivated people. I would say the three basic things I put into my company and uh, what I learned from Dr. Radke, I put out in the beginning, I only took a few things because it's a lot. So I said, well, I take three things and I implement them. And I want to share the three things that were very successful for me in the company. That was first, your A-team, make a good A-team. And the A-team, uh, the people in your A-team is the best when they are better than yourself. And that was not easy because you see it as a threat. But I said, okay, I take better people than myself. And I, I changed some people out of my team, which was not easy, but I bought some new people, I took some new people, and I took the best I could find. And that's, that's really a blessing. And that works very, very good. So that was the first thing. The second thing was asking questions. And it is as simple as I say it, asking questions, but it is a, a really an art to ask the good questions. And uh, I have learned that through the years to ask good questions. And the value, uh, Dr. Radke said it yesterday, is that when you ask questions, you value the people, and you are interested in the people, and you want to develop the people and that they value a lot, and they are motivated by that. So that, that was the second thing I implemented strongly. And the third thing was uh, teams. And it is, it is a very uh, known thing, but I'm now working on my B teams, but the teams, it's unbelievable working very strongly in the business. So that's also very nice. So um, the thing I was afraid of, that Holland, is in Europe the country with the highest level of burnouts. So um, I was afraid that if I went, <laughs> went the CEO of this company, it would be very hard. But I can tell nowadays, I'm coming to the States, I only got a few phone calls, few mails, 
and the company is running smoothly. And now when I come back, there is not a pile of, of work, everything is done. And that is also one of the very nice things. Uh, so I'm promoting this very strongly and I want to tell you as well that I am very happy that I'm in contact with Dr. Radke, but I'm also very happy that my pastor said to me, come and visit the, the meetings of Dr. Radke and the basic training. And this helps me enormous. And uh, I'm very happy that Dr. Radke is now ha are willing to come to Holland, to Amsterdam, and give a training for businessmen. Um, so, uh, my... The, the people I meet, a lot of businessmen and Christian businessmen especially, um, they are really interested to have this material because there is a, not a lot of Bible-based material that uh, gives such a good uh, fundament of building your company. So um, this is really uh, very good and uh, I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, and I want to motivate you as well, uh, to ask your business people in your church to attend to these uh, meetings because it, I implemented, when, they, when he said church, I implemented business and it's perfectly uh, to change it to the business uh, kind. So um, first of all, I thank God that he bring, brought me in contact with you and uh, he, he is all the right time, and uh, I'm very happy that, uh, that I'm also able to follow this, uh, this meeting again, because it's good to uh, repeat and to be freshed up every time. Thank you. Yeah. Love you, brother. Yeah, it works if you work it. doesn't work if you don't work it. But that's what's so awesome about you all that uh, have been coming back and working it, uh, you partners who uh, are making it happen. And uh, I, I wanted you to hear that um, because we're boasting on the Lord. We're, it's his system. It's his scriptural system. And it's good to boast on the Lord. David taught us that. But I also wanted you to hear what he, uh, what, that it works. And it works uh, not only in the church and or any ministry, but it works in the business community as well. But I wanted you to hear what he closed with also, that, you know, you have, you, God sends people. Now, he's been sending people for years, decades. And we're only <laughs> keeping, on average, the average church keeps 10 to 15% of the people God sends in the United States. I don't know what it is in Nigeria. I don't know what it is in Canada. I don't know what it is in the other nations of the world that we go to, that the partners send me to. But 10 to 15%, so we're squandering 85 to 90% of his provision of money, resources to build our ministries, and 85 to 90% of potential leaders, people that we can disciple to help us build a ministry. And a lot of them that God sends are men and women just like Gert Jan, who wants to help his pastor, who can take the experience from the world system and bring it to the ministry. And that's why I know God is putting this more and more on my heart to reach Christian businessmen. It was part of the original vision because that's where I came from. That was where I was discipled in the corporate world. And God used that experience to train me and develop me. But I want to encourage you, you pastors, you've got to let them in. And I know that's scary. I know that, uh, that, uh, that, you know, that can be intimidating because, you know, they know all those buzzwords and that stuff. He, that guy with the mustache talks about, you know, they know more about those terms. And so, you know, uh, and if I let them in here, they'll see that I don't know everything and I'm not perfect. What did he just say? The key is, what he said, what I've been telling you for years, is you've got to surround yourself with people smarter and better than you. Amen. But let me help you. God picked you. He didn't pick Gert Jan, Dean Radke, to run and be a pastor of your ministry. He picked you. You were his choice. But he is sending people. I'm not the only guy who left the world system. The man here that, that is the executive 
director of this ministry came from a corporation to come alongside of his pastor and hold up his hands. And that's what he wants to do and is doing for his pastor. So you, you must let him in and don't shy away from it and get them on a fast track. They're high potential people. I don't mean we're respecters of people in the sense that these guys have, you know, some corporate credentials or a college degree or an MBA or something, and so we treat them differently from the guy that crawled out from under the bridge. But they're on different tracks. The gentleman from under the bridge is in a restoration track, and so that he can help you someday and will be be just as valuable someday if we disciple them properly. Amen. But then we, we need help. So we get businessmen like this on a fast track. Corporate businessmen who have the heart for God or marketplace ministers. They're ministering. They're, they're the Bible that those people never read. They're the Bible in the company, in positions of authority and an opportunity to model these principles to their teams. So let them in. I wanted you to hear that. Let these businessmen in to help you, and women. Let them in. Surround yourself with strength. They'll help you disciple, because they know the value of training and development. That's already etched into them. They've, they've been, what did he say? I've been to all the trainings. I've, he had lots of training. I had lots of trainings. But I didn't know this system until God taught it to me. I didn't know this system. And I, I wasn't a happy camper. I, I hated the job, quite honestly, because I didn't have the skill, the skill sets and art forms of discipleship, and how, you, how you really deal with people. They never taught me the how-to part, the practical application. So consequently, I didn't like the job. I liked the money, but I didn't like the job because I was not equipped. I wasn't puissant. I wasn't effective. I wasn't strong. I wasn't powerful and potent. I was timid, unskilled, and uncomfortable. <laughs> Believe me. Okay. Thank you, sir. And we'll go over there and we'll touch more marketplace ministers, encourage them to be, get involved with their churches. We'll show them that what they're doing. When you can get a businessman that isn't saved and you tell him what he's doing comes right out of here and you show it to him, like I've been illustrating here along the way and in the basic training, then you, they're halfway saved already. It's, it comes right out of here. But they're working this. They're doing this. Unfortunately, they're doing it better than we are. They understand about training and development. They don't call it discipleship, but they sure understand training and development. And we covered that. Okay, now let's look at empowerment. Today's module, we kick off today with the module of empowerment. Empowerment. And I shared with you yesterday that let's look at how people learn. Let's get this, this uh, first up on the board here. How do people learn? How do they retain? If we're disciplers of men, it'd be good to know what is most effective in discipling them. What tools are most effective in discipling people? So the first... We'll do this by percentages and then how they, what it is we do to gain these percentages. The first, they learn 10%. 10% of what they learn is by what they read. That's why yesterday I said when you purchase the product, you're going to have 27 sessions. They're all carved up into 30 five to 40 minute seg uh, segments or sessions so that you can project it up there, go online and then project it up on the big screen or your flat screen and 
then you can show it and then you discuss it. But you're going to have your lesson plans that are just for you as the CEO. There's 16 diagrams and all my notes. Everything that I've learned about that particular diagram that God taught me is on the notes. So, but it, I, don't, I told you yesterday, don't hand that to them. Don't give them this. There's this mimeograph. Well, they don't have that anymore. Copy them. <laughs> I'm 71. Cut me a little slack, all right? So they, 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 you don't copy them and just hand them out to people. Because they read them. They don't 10% by what they read. So let's learn what really does work here. Okay, then 20%, 20% is by what they hear. So that's why lectures aren't that great either. And we have fun in the basic training, those of you that are here for the first time. Is there anybody here today that wasn't here yesterday? Oh, praise the Lord. Are there any CEOs here today? You're ahead of a ministry? Raise your hand high. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Praise, anybody else? I can't see that well, the lights. Are, raise them one more time, if you don't mind. It's, this is good exercise. Anyway, uh, okay, great. Um, we'll get you the packets we handed out yesterday. Did you see who they are, Ed? Okay, you can do that at, at the break. But... Uh, why, why did I mention that? Um, here. You mean this? Here. What you hear. Yeah. Yeah, but what about it? What? <laughs> yeah. What about that? Huh. I don't know. The discernment here isn't that great in North Carolina. What? Yeah, people weren't here, but that's H-E-A-R, not H-E-R-E. People there. <laughs> uh, this is going nowhere fast. Yeah, okay. Well, what the, yeah, you were, that's right. Uh, thank you, Sandy. Okay, so yeah, lectures, what they hear don't work. You know, I mean, and I asked pastors, they say, what's, what's your, uh, how do you train and develop? You know, how do you disciple? Well, you know, we have the 10 points, the leadership. I said, what? You have 10 points? Yeah, we, what are they? Well, and then they look at me like, why are we paying this guy the big bucks for consulting here? You know, he, he doesn't even know the 10 points of leadership. And I, and I, and I say, well, no, I, I mean, I just want to know the 10 you use, you know. Well, the 10 points of leadership. And we, listen, we hit them hard every single month with the 10 points. We pound it in there. And uh, I said, well, like, what, what do you do? Well, you know, the 10 points of leadership. Look sharp. Act sharp. Be sharp. Sharpen up. And six more sharp things. Well, you know, that's, <laughs> that's about 20% of I wouldn't even give it 20. That is a complete waste of time. Because they've turned you off on the second or third sharp point there. They've taken a sharp turn to the left and left you back there. Forget it. That le so lectures don't work. Real-time coaching works. Sitting down with real people and dealing with real issues in real time for a real God. That's what works. When you put your heart into them, they get your heart. When you disciple them, they'll learn and you'll model how to disciple other people. So it's not about lectures. It's not about lectures, not what they hear. Okay, then 30% is from what they see. What they see. Then 50% is what they see and hear. So you combine these two. Whoops. See and hear. And then 70% is what they say and write. So that's why you have paper in front of you. That's why you've been taking copious notes. That's why when we have the basic training, we have a workbook so you can learn the basics. This is not the basic training. This is uh, about discipleship and take, taking off on one dimension 
of the basic training, but it's this discipleship system that we established yesterday. But they, what they say and write, so it's important that they take notes. You don't hand them the material. You let them take notes, because when they write it, when they see it, when, you, when they see the diagrams, when I, that's why I have whiteboards, I diagram, because a lot of visual learning takes place, then what they, what they hear, we talk, we share things, what they hear from others at the table, most important, and what they even hear from you. But you model it, and then what they write. And then, of course, finally, the maximum is achieved, 90% is what they say and do. Now, let's, let's unpack that. What they say and do. So, if you have them start teaching these lessons, once you've incuse these things into them, then you say, okay, now, Joe, next time I want you to teach the tachometer. Amen. Susie, I want you to do the funnel of unsuccess. Bob, you take the Proverbs process and diagram it and teach us and teach others, okay? So now they have to say it and do it. So they have to study, they have to prepare. The pastors that do the interim implementation trainings say, often say, most often say, you know, I'm just, I'm better because I'm teaching it and I have to study it out. I have to prepare it. And then as I teach, who benefits the most from the teaching? The teacher. Yeah. So, so my recommendation to you is get them to teach it. Let them be the teacher. Now they're going to have to teach it when they get to their team. But when you're first starting to do this, let them get involved in the teaching process. Let them get involved in the discipleship process for you. Not the first time out the gate, but as soon as you're able. Let them teach it because they will then be speaking it into being. And they'll be speaking it into their own being as they teach it. Okay, then the other part of it is the do. And the do is the exper a experiential part. Experiential part is empowerment. You empower them to do something in your ministry. And so anytime you can empower somebody, empowerment, give them, you're giving them experience. And experience is the currency of leadership only if we learn from it. So we're sitting here, and Bob here made a mistake. Something that he did, something that he initiated didn't go well. He took a risk. We celebrate that. Praise the Lord. That's how they hold up your hands. They take risks. They're helping you. That's edifying, encouraging to the leader when people are taking risks, when people are moving out with the vision, like we talked about yesterday. Followers that lead. You have to catch up with them. They take initiative. They're self-initiating within parameters. And we teach that in direction setting. We establish parameters. But we let them loose. We let them run with the vision. They can't, they can't run with the vision when you've got shackles on them. So they run with the vision. But they, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to stumble. They're going to go down the wrong path because of inexperience. So praise the Lord. We celebrate that because it's edifying to you, the leader. But it's a learning opportunity for them. But the only way that they can truly learn from this is if you coach them through it. And how do you do that? You say, well, that was really dumb, Bob. What you should have done, it, no. What we say is, Bob, we ask questions. What did you just hear from Gert Jan? What, what was number two? Questions. The art of asking questions. And he said it's an art. It takes skill. Yeah. I mean, one question could be, what, what dumb idea came forth for that? I mean, what, where did you come up with that dumb idea? That would be a question. Well, that's not real skillful. <laughs> but, but, an, but another question would be, Bob, what did you learn? from this experience. Another question would be, what changes do you feel you need to make based on what you just learned? 
What, 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 do you, what would you do to improve this in the future? Then you turn to the rest of the team. Do you have any suggestions for Bob? Any of you had a similar experience? What did you learn from it? Team teaching, team discipleship. Question, but you see, they're all questions. I'm not lecturing. I'm not giving any uh, directives here. I'm asking questions and letting them, see that Jesus was a master at asking questions. He, first of all, he invited them into the discussion they can't, from which they can't escape without thinking when you ask a question. People have to think it through and respond. And when they think it through, they discover their learning. So when I ask the questions like I just modeled, Bob's discovering his learning. Now, he may not have all the answers. Then I turn to the, I don't jump in and save the day yet. Then I turn to the team and let them. That's how you build unity. Remember yesterday we talked about constructive conflict in here because we're going to have differing perspectives, different solutions to an issue. We're going to be in conflict here. But when once the decision is made, and I, I'm the decision maker, the leader is always the decision maker no matter where you're leading, you, you commission the work. And once I say, okay, based on all this input that I've received from you, this is what we're going to do. Well, then we leave the meeting in unity. Amen. And I, I might have been here, or Joe is here, and he thought we should go this direction, and I'm saying, based on what I'm hearing, Jethro said, take all this information, take the macro matters to God. Then God will tell us. But at least you're going to God with all the facts. That's right. And then, but the, Joe said, no, I think we should go that way, but we ended up, we're going this way. Joe leaves the meeting like it was his idea. He's fired up. Hey, this is going to be terrific. You know, he doesn't have an attitude. That's why we need EQ, emotional maturity, on your team. Not just IQ. He, he got the smartest guys he could find, but he also has to have emotional maturity, intelligence, that, you know, we don't agree. And we can deal with that. Or, or when one makes a presentation and the other one challenges it with respect and dignity, the other one challenges it, then we don't take that personally. We see that as somebody who cares. Amen. Somebody who cares about what we're doing here. Somebody who cares about God getting the best. So we have to give them experience, and experience is how we empower others. And, and I, I said it, so let's, let's say it one more time. I mean, I did it yesterday, but what we want to do is widen the neck of the funnel. So we're taking God's mandates and we're pouring them out through you down into your ministry. Empowering. And every leader down line here, all the funnels, the B team funnels, the C team funnels, they're all empowering others. They don't do the work, they lead it. We need leaders, remember? Remember yesterday, we established so many times when you run out of leaders, you're finished. You plateau, you stagnate, you cannot grow. And it, we need to have the culture, we talked about culture yesterday, but a discipleship culture. But we need to have a culture where everybody understands that it's their ministry. It's not our ministry. The leader, the leader. It's not your ministry. It's God's ministry, and it's our ministry. It's as much their ministry as ours. And when we start thinking like that, that's a mind shift. We talked about mind shifts yesterday, having a shift the way we think, the way we function. If we can shift that over, it's, it's not our ministry. Yeah, we're leading. We're going to be ultimately responsible, but everybody's going to be responsible and accountable. So if we have that mindset that it's not our ministry, it's their ministry, then we would approach it differently. We would look at and see discipleship differently. And I don't mean to be demeaning. I know, I know I'm not saying you think like that. But 
how about the people down line? I mean, this is my department. Praise the Lord, of course. I mean, everything, everything this department is is because of me. Praise God. And I'm not letting anybody get in here and mess it up. You know, I don't care what the guy with the mustache says that pastor seems to like. You know, I... I'm not letting anybody get in here mess it up, or this nursery area here. This, look, I know what's best for God in the nursery. Empowerment ship. What, what is that? So let's start to unpack this. Involvement ship. Now where people are involved. Remember all the facets we scrolled through yesterday under uh, discipleship? All the ships that scrolled through? And uh, so I'm going to be giving you some today, but the, under the three big umbrellas of which virtually all of them would fall, all of those 40, and we could have added 10, 10 or 20 more easily, in, involvement ship, delegation ship, and entrustment ship, entrusting others with their ministry, with God's ministry. And then that, that allows for what? Things like sending ship. We're senders of men. We're, we're, we're not just having to send them to one of the flags, not sending them six time zones that direction. That's good. We want to be preparing. That's what we're capable of doing. If we disciple people, we can send them. But we also have to send them up into the organization to take on more responsibility. Sending them up with higher levels of responsibility. What a leader does is he puts his top people on the highest priority. What did Gert Jan just tell us? He, he, he needed to have more top people because he had these high priorities and he had to have the best to take them on. And when he did that, he, it freed him up to be the leader that he was called to be or the leader you're called to be. It's freeing like that seesaw, the leverage that we looked at yesterday. So sending ship, puissance ship, which is building strength down line, competency, efficacious, being effective down line. And destiny ship. Yesterday we talked about God sends them to your door and then we establish the leadership pipeline here so we can pump out entry-level leaders as fast as we can if, that, if that's where membership, you, if you call that the membership class, but this is a pipeline, and you need to let them know right here that we are a discipleship culture. We're going to pour everything we can into you. We're going to be honest with you so you can learn and become more valuable for God, and we expect you to receive it, to receive the discipleship, unlike Proverbs 15:12, I believe it is, or 12:15. I'm not. I think it's 15:12. A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. We can't have people on this team or this team or any team if they're not willing to learn and be discipled. A scoffer does not love, he doesn't see that when you bring correction, when I'm here bringing correction to someone, they don't see that as love, they don't value it. But that's what it is. Done with respect and dignity, I'm loving them. I'm adding value to them. But this is a huge hurdle for your team people when they meet with their teams. This is a huge hurdle. That's why tonight we're going to talk about facilitation. And this afternoon too, probably, depending on how it all plays out. But this, not, not easy to do that. It wasn't easy for you. It wasn't easy for me. So this takes modeling here and reinforcement and working with them. The first time they have to do this, bring correction to someone, you may have to model it or do it with them. You sit down with them, and they're there, you do it together, because they're totally inexperienced, and they're totally operating in fear. Until And God didn't give us that spirit. Gave us timidity. He didn't give us timidity. He gave us unction. So, but you may have to show them how to do it. You may have to sit side with side with with them here and and bring correction then the next time you may have to just be here let him do it but you're in case he to give him confidence if he stumbles you can coach him and help him and then the next time maybe you're just available call me if you have a challenge 
but now you do it. You, I've modeled it, and you do it. I model it here. I mo okay, and then they're off and running. Now they're modeling it for these people who are going to have to then do it down here with these people. That's what we're talking about here. I know you know this, but this is, the, this is where the discipleship comes in. That's why it's not just, uh, you know, a little bit of your time here and there. It's huge. So what are we doing then? We're authorizing. If, if, if we're saying this is their ministry, then we're authorizing them to make decisions, calculated decisions within parameters. When we do direction setting and it's in the product, you can, you can see it. We taught it for over an hour here. Authorize them, delegate, enable, permit. Those are all those words, meaning the act of empowering. Those are the key words in, in the actions of empowering. There was a Navy captain, and he empowered his ship. I'm going to talk to you about it here in just a second. But he, he established some parameters. He, t he said, well, the only way this thing is going to change, and I'll, I'm going to give you a case study here in a second. But he said, uh, he told his people, I need people that can think here. You're bright. You, you sailors are bright. You have a lot of experience, and I need it. We need it to make this ship the best ship in the fleet. So here's the parameters. You cannot defy Navy regulations. So we all operate under the Navy regulations. You don't injure or kill any of your shipmates, and you don't sink the ship. But beyond that, I want ideas, and I want thinking here, and I want innovation, and I want creativity, and we're going to build the greatest ship in the Navy. And by golly, he turned the ship around from one of the worst in the fleet to, to the, one of the best in the fleet, if not the best, uh, in a year's time when he empowered the ship crew to get involved in owning the ship. The previous captain was command and control. And he told everybody what he wanted done. And the morale was so low, they had 300-plus men on that ship, and not one of them wanted to re-enlist. Not one. And when they went to do their battle exercises, they could care less. In fact, they tried to mess up so he'd look bad. They hated him. That's the ship he inherited. And he turned the whole thing around when he entrusted the ship to the crew. Don't sink it, don't kill any of your shipmates, and don't defy Navy regs, because we'll all be in trouble. But let's build this thing. Let's build the best ship in the fleet. Are you getting this? Amen. <clears throat> so experience. He gave them experience. And they, got, they felt value, like he just told us, like I've been telling you. For years, I've been looking for a different word to replace leadership because so many leaders don't come to this meeting because they say, I've heard all the leadership slogans, sayings, laws, theory. You know, I'm sick of it. Didn't do anything for me. But it's the practical application, and that's what discipleship is. Practical application. And you give them experience, that's practical. Leadership is discipleship. Discipleship is leadership. You know, we, <clears throat> in our history, in, in a uh, successful nation that's, uh, that's been very achieving, uh, has accomplished a tremendous amount, initially in industry, and it worked then, it was the right thing at that time, but we had kind of the grand strategists or the grand leaders, like the gentleman uh, that someone submitted the uh, quote from yesterday, Andrew Carnegie, or Ford, or Sloan, and guys that were generals in industry. And they were command and control, and everybody else was the workers. And it worked for a while, but it isn't working anymore. It's a different world, a different culture. And, uh, but, with the, but the church is still acting like we're in the industrial age. We still have people dictating and command and control, and Everybody else is the worker here, and I'm the leader, and it doesn't work. Amen. But this particular pastor um, 
uh, this particular pastor, this particular, well, he pastored his ship. He, he, he cared about his shipmates. That, that, he put them first. And he, he, um, he let me just share with you, uh, let me see if I can find. Well, first of all, let me interject this. Carol and I went to our great nephew's graduation from the Air Force Academy in June. And um, Admiral Mullen, who's the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the head of the military in the US, he's, uh, he's the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He gave the commencement address, and I loved what he said. He said, the, he told these, the newly commissioned officers, our, our, this is our great nephew, but our regular nephew, whatever you call it. <laughs> the, the first guy. His father, his father um, is the head of the emergency, the ER at uh, Minneapolis. I, I don't know, Minneapolis General or something. But his father um, left, he, they, put him on, they put him on a hiatus. He volunteered for the military and he went to uh, Iraq and then to uh, Afghanistan to show him how to establish emergency units over there. He got the Silver Star. And uh, amazing. I mean, he, he was a very comfortable doctor leading a hospital, very affluent, everything's fine. And he said, no, you know, these guys, they're getting shot up over there, those IUDs. I need to go over there and set up an emergen emergency room. So he volunteered and he told the military, I'll go over there and do this for you. And he even set up systems where, where um, um, the women, uh, in terms of, uh, all the things that women need, birth and so forth, he set up clinics and so forth. So uh, he, he, but he had the honor of commissioning his son, uh, commissioning service. And uh, so Admiral Mullen said to the cadets, he said, the newly commissioned officer, he said, you listen, you need to listen to your airmen. Listen to your, I mean, he couldn't have been clearer to them. He said, you're gonna, you, you think now you're an officer, and you have control, and you're something special. He said, no, you've just been given a privilege of leading these others. You've been given a privilege, now you listen to them. That's my counsel to every single one of you. You listen to your airmen, and I'm, so I'm passing that along to you. Listen, listen so as to disciple, listen. In the same manner, this Navy, this Navy captain he had the same message, his same message. He inherited a ship where nobody listened. The captain didn't listen, and the um, officers under the captain didn't listen to the crew. And I'll get to that in a second. But he, he inherited a, a ship that when they did their exercises, I told you, they, were, they failed. They came in with terrible scores because they had an attitude toward the leadership. They had an attitude. There's attitude ship also. So, but they, in one year's time, they had the highest, they were in the, in the uh, um, Middle East, um, in the, I don't know, I'm in a block, um, the, the uh, Arabian Sea there. And they got, they had the highest score just a little over a year and a half later. And like I told you, nobody wanted to re-enlist. Now the guys wanted to stay. They loved the ship. They loved the Navy again. Why? Simply gave them some experience, empowered them. And, and one, of the, one of the gentlemen, one of the crew members, um, had an idea. And, and when he first took over the ship, the, the crew member took it to his leader. And the guy blew him off. What does he know? You know, he's an enlisted man. You know, he didn't even listen to him. Well, somehow it got to the captain. And the captain listened. And he reprimanded the one that didn't listen to him. But the captain took it and took it to his leader, the guy that was the head of the fleet in the Middle East. And, you know, they put it in practice. It was a breakthrough idea. It changed the way, I'm not gonna describe it for you, it would take too long, but it was a breakthrough idea for how the ships operated. In, in, they, were, they were operating in an antiquated fashion and this guy had this bright idea. 
uh, communication systems guy. And so, but the leader didn't listen to him. The initial leader didn't listen to him. So uh, here are the top reasons why people quit the Navy. Probably the same for the Army and the Marine Corps and the Air Force. Okay, I just happen to be more familiar with the Navy. Having been a naval officer, I'm interested in those things. So <clears throat> the, top three, the top five reasons for quitting the Navy. Number one, not being treated with respect and dignity. It's not respect and dignity to not be honest with somebody. It's not respect and dignity not to give somebody an opportunity to commit to something or an opportunity to be involved in something, to express themselves in something, to have some bit of control over what it is that they're doing. You know, there was a, they did a research, I'll try to do this quickly, they did a research project. They had a room full like this of people. They split the room in half. They gave everybody in the room the same assignment they said it was, and it was a very complicated, confusing test, and it required editing and math and some formulas and some problems that they had to figure out. A lot of, a lot of you know, requiring mental acumen. But to, <clears throat> and, and then in the background for everybody, they played um, a whole bunch of music and, and sound, disrupting sound, jackhammers, roosters, and honking horns like when we train in Jamaica, and, and uh, then uh, reggae music like in, you know, the worst, the hardest training was in Jamaica. The cars were honking, the roosters were crowing, the taxi drivers don't, you know, just drive by, they honk at everybody walking. And then, you know, and, the, and then the goat in the yard was buying right outside the church window, you know, you know, and, and or maybe it was a pastor, I'm not sure, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, so they had all this kind of music and sound and stuff going on in the background, except for this group right over here, they gave them a button, and they said, if it gets too much, you know, then push the button, you can cut off the sound. This group over here did five times the productivity of this group over here. And guess what? They never used the button. They just had empowerment. They had the capability of having some way of affecting my own personal situation by getting it. So the number one reason was not treated with respect and dignity. Number two was being prevented from making an impact on something of value. In their case, the ship, their department, their area. They wanted to make it better. It's in everybody's DNA. We want to do that. So prevented from making an impact. Number three, not being listened to. Not being listened to. These are all interrelated because when you don't listen to somebody, you're not respecting them. You're not adding value. You're not treating them with dignity. So not being listened to. Fourth, not being rewarded with money. No. More compensation? Promotion? No. More responsibility. Not being, four, not being rewarded with more responsibility. And then five, more pay. More pay. Five was pay. More pay. Learning. Your ministry should be a learning laboratory where everybody has an opportunity to experiment. Everybody has an opportunity to take a risk and learn. Because, as I modeled over here, that's, that's discipleship. Giving them an opportunity to fail. 
So we're a learning laboratory. We, Thomas Edison didn't come up with all of his inventions the first time out the gate. There were some 1,400 failures to discover the light bulb or something. So let's let a loose here. Let's let, God would say, let my people go. We've got them in bondage. Let my people go. And let them help you build. And that takes experience ship. Experience ship. I told you yesterday, we were, in, we were the invasion force into Cuba. We had to go through the hurricane. We weren't really going on the practice exercise to Viegas, a little island off of, off of Puerto Rico. We were going down there to invade Cuba and dismantle the missiles. And so that's where the learning curve torqued for me and everybody else. It was real-time experiential. They wanted to, obviously, they would have knocked our ship out first because it had the admiral and the general on board, the command ship that could communicate with the Pentagon directly from anywhere in the world. And then the next thing they wanted to do was kill me because I was an ensign, and we used to run the machine. We would run the, the Marines into the beach, and then I, they had to have an officer go with them. And they would run them into the beach, and then the officer, me, or any of the other ensigns, they were called ensigns, those Mike boats were called ensign killers, and we had to come back and pick up more Marines and then take them in again, and then come back and get more and take them in again. And we lost a lot of ensigns in World War II. And so, you know, that I, I learned, I was paying attention, you know. <laughs> We used to have fun when we were just practicing with the Marines because we used to be jibing each other all the time, the Marine officers and uh, the Naval officers, and they would be ranking on us and we'd be ranking on them. And so I got them one time. I, we, we, had a, we were over in Greece and we were doing a practice landing and, uh, you know, we, and I told the coxswain, I said, now, don't hit the beach exactly. And 